Welcome to 10 CDs for a Penny, the show where we talk about mild music mags and culture and stuff. I'm Jackson Maine. In 1996, I was 16, and Weezer was my favorite band, and they released their album, Pinkerton. Imagine a time when you were just waiting every day for your favorite band to put out another record. I remember the day I bought Pinkerton. I remember getting my friends to stop at the House of Sounds on Princess Street in Kingston, Ontario, so I could pick it up on a Friday night on the way to a party. I remember asking if they had the new Weezer record at the record store, and the guy snottily saying, yeah. Other than Pavement, Crooked Rain, and No Effects, Punk and Drublick, Pinkerton was the first record I'd ever heard that didn't sound like anything else I'd ever heard. And because it was brand new, I felt like I was in on some sort of cool early adopter club. It took me about a weekend to fall in love with this record. And I still love this record. Pinkerton has followed me through my life since I was 16 years old, and I've never gotten tired of it. I still think it's a brilliant, unique record. I estimate in 25 years I have listened to it almost a thousand times, maybe more. In first year university, it gained a new life. My friend group was all into this record, and it somehow was always on in every smoke-filled dorm room. El Scorcho was the song that closed out the night at my wedding reception, and now it's celebrating its 25th anniversary. This episode, I'm joined by Pablo Petrucci and Stacey McCool, two Weezer mega fans to break down this record and discuss its legacy and impact and why we love it. So join us as we go to the moment that was January 1997 and the alternative press cover story on Weezer and Pinkerton. Okay, uh, welcome back to the episode. This episode, we're doing the January 1997 issue of Alternative Press. I've never gotten to do an Alternative Press before on here. Um, usually, always doing like Rolling Stones and Spins just because it's more convenient. Rejoining us this episode, I'd like to welcome Pablo Petrucci. And for the first time on this show, I'd like to welcome artist and musician Stacy McCool. Hey. Hey, Stacy. Uh, glad to have you here. I was really happy that you uh, wanted to come on and uh, talk about the cover story, which is Weezer and for uh, their Pinkerton release. I know both of you guys are Pinkerton fans, so I'm really happy that both of you are on to chat about this. Oh, yeah, definitely. One of my favorite albums of all time. I don't have a lot of alternative press from the 90s. I feel like this was probably the first one I ever bought, and I bought it completely by accident i remember being in a really big awesome magazine store in the states and just seeing a cover story on weezer and thinking like what a special find <laughs> like getting to grab that so like <laughs> had a whole article on uh on weezer and pinkerton and you know when we think back you know we're so inundated we have all the information now everything you want to know about an artist is just like rolling out in current time and we all know a lot about Weezer now. There's not a lot of surprises in this article, but when you think back, you know, it's hard to imagine when there wasn't a Wikipedia type source and this was a big window into this band. I remember reading this for the first time being 16 years old and thinking, you know, like I just just getting to absorb so much more about them. Or even just the way that the band members spoke about each other. Because no one would do that now. You know what I mean? There would be headline after headline. Right. Oh, Matt Sharp hates Rivers and he thinks Pinkerton's yeah. trash. Like, whatever it is. They just, they mercilessly tore each other apart. <laughs> and this, and I thought it was, every page I was like, what the fuck? Like, they just keep trashing each other. And that doesn't happen anymore. Bands don't talk about if they don't get along anymore. You know? It's so true. It is so true. It was, it was like a, such a time capsule because of that. 
yeah, I think I'm guessing it's because of like social media, like just how easy it is for things to get spread out and for people to get talking about it. And you don't sell uh, records if you're not likable now. You know what I mean? Like the way that the interview was, they were just like, whatever, we don't care. We just put it out. Yeah, yeah. For it, I guess, you know, like it was, it, they weren't hyping it and they weren't, uh, Hyping up each other, you know, posy PMA, yeah. <laughs> positive mental attitude that didn't exist then. No, it's really true. The and best like, part. we, you know, I even read ones when Blue Album came out, when these guys were brand new and just like just started getting talked about, and they still didn't seem that excited. And then yeah, all of a sudden, right. like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they got big. They got big off Blue. We saw the entire career path of that record, and then into this one, and. Yeah, like it, you're you're really right, Stacey, when you think when you say like people really aren't trashing each other anymore. People are very guarded about what they say now because it's it's so instant. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole apology culture. You, you know, you're constantly saying like saying something stupid and apologizing for it, you know, by the afternoon. I remember reading this when it first came out and being so shocked at how like it was like the first time I'd really gotten a massive glimpse into them and thinking like what an asshole rivers cuomo was (laughs) yeah oh they don't even hang out like are they even friends why are they in this band together it's it's so it was so different especially i know that you grew up in the punk scene i don't know if pablo did is with us but uh everybody it was like buddies you know what i mean you formed a band with people that you loved and wanted to be around all the time because you had to sit in a van for months at a time yeah and these guys it's like they don't live in the same state they just (laughs) yeah they just exist as like this weird being and then split off it's so LA to be like yeah. that though. Like, like you just, you go to LA and it's all people trying to, you know, make it in bands. Basically it's different than if you're like in a local scene, mm. kind of like in a lesser known place where most bands don't get signed to major labels. Whereas like you feel it in the, in this article about Weezer, like that they just got together and they're just literally only in for the money. Like, yeah, it's almost it's like so a, like blunt. a Backstreet Boys. It's like they were put together to be Weezer. Like, yeah, exactly. They didn't come out of a scene. They didn't like rise up with their bodies playing and whatever. It was so. It wasn't off-putting because I loved it, but it. I don't. I can't think of a better word. You know. You know more of what you said about these guys all being in this band and not liking each other. And this is early in a career. You know, they've, they, yeah. they only had, they had a small window of playing together before they got big. They got big. They've toured. They're back together for this record. It's true. They don't live in the same cities. Everyone else has a side project. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of, I don't know what they're, what they feel about each other today. I think there's been a lot of ups and downs in Weezer's career. It's been close to 30 years now, but I feel yeah. that kind of just kept going. I feel like these guys like Pat and, and uh, Brian who remained in the band with rivers until this day, it, it always just felt like they were kind of cashing a paycheck. Like, why would we quit this? Mm. That we'd be stupid, yeah. stupid to quit. But yep. yeah, <laughs> I think he said that in the interview at one point, the drummer, which one's the drummer? Pat, Pat Wilson. Pat. Yeah. He said like, yeah, I don't know. I just love playing drums and I get paid a lot. So I go and I do it and I just do whatever rivers asks in the video. And yeah. Okay. The- yeah. It's weird for that to already be in that place on their second record. Yeah, but second Even record. What do they have? Like nine now? Something? Oh, a lot more. I actually counted. It was like I think in the two thousands alone, they have 
14 or 15 records. <laughs> oh my God. And I, I mean, I guess it's just paycheck after paycheck. Yes. They play it, stadiums now, so it must be worth it. Right? Absolutely. Why? Yeah. Why would you quit now? <laughs> right. It's like a more, this article is like a more exaggerated version of what the Rolling Stone article was like, where already there's this feeling of, even when they're being introduced to the world through Rolling Stone, that article we talked about, Jackson, one of your earlier episodes, there's already like Rivers didn't want to show up to this photo shoot, so he's <laughs> not here. And then Rivers is already like talking, even in the first, literal first interview with Rolling Stone, like, I don't know if I want to be in this, be a rock star anymore. I don't know if I want to do this. And this article about Pinkerton really solidifies this idea of like, everyone feels like this band could finish at any point. This could yeah. be over at any point, And I might as well just figure out what I need to do to survive. So I'm going to start some side projects. Who knows if we're going to write another album. It might be over. Or I might just play on an album that Rivers wrote or whatever it may be, you know. Right. I, I'm, I'm legitimately surprised every time I see an ad that a new Weezer album is coming up. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go for it again. Do another huge tour with Blink-182 or whatever. They, they're still putting out shit as well. Did you know that? Oh, absolutely. I think the tour that, you know, kind of got put on hold for COVID just is happening. I think as we speak, it's Weezer. Oh, Green Day too, I think. Yeah, right? and Followed yeah. Boy. Oh my God. That's the three bands that are playing together right now. Wow. Yeah, that's a mega stadium tour right there. Uh, well, follow up. All you could say is a band that was probably influenced by Weezer. Yeah, I mean, not to get into it, 100%. but it's pretty funny that all of a sudden you could see that trajectory of like Weezer and Green Day coming out at the exact same time, kind of having the same influences, and then they're all of a sudden playing with this band from ten years later <laughs> that was influenced exactly. by them. Exactly, it's the next generation. It's like I just watched that Descendants doc. And when they came back in the 90s and they're like, oh, I don't know if the punk scene will have us back. And everybody was like, you made us. Like, <laughs> of course you could come back. It's that I'm sure Fall Out Boy is like, you know, thanking the lucky stars to be on the tour with this. These icons are huge in their own right. But absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. It, 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 bands from the 90s, I feel like if they just stick around, they'll make it because the nostalgia factor is so huge right now. Yeah. And so everything that ha every day, it's a new like 20th anniversary of this, 25th anniversary of this. And it's wild, but yeah. I mean, speaking of, this is the 25th anniversary of <laughs> Pinkerton. Yes. Wow. Can I ask you guys, ask Stacy first? What was your do you do you have a first memory of this record? What did you think of when the first time you heard it? So the first time I heard it was, uh, it was like the next year in the fall because I loved the Blue Album. Everybody loved the Blue Album, and I remember all the guys at school saying, "Oh, Pinkerton sucks." No, it's not the same, man. Like they changed or something, whatever. <laughs> and it was like, we, I didn't have the internet at this point. You didn't know an album unless you, you know, had it. And so I remember I was in a pawn shop in Oshawa, 1997, and I saw Pinkerton on the shelf with the Blue Album. And the Blue Album, I only had like a ripped, uh, like a tape, mm. a taped version. And so I bought them both for five bucks and I got it home and it blew my mind. Yeah. It was like, it was so different, but it was... It wasn't 1994 anymore either. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was exactly what I needed going into the 10th grade. <laughs> Pab, what, what was your first memory of this? My first memory, I think my first memory is, it's a, I don't know if this is my first memory, but this is what I think it is. It's like seeing the El Scorcho video 
on much is probably my like the first time i had like okay this is the new single this is the new album can't wait to to listen to it or whatever and um and i was just like excited and i couldn't wait to buy the record but i don't think i was ready to admit that it wasn't like i didn't feel the same about pinkerton as i did the blue album um and but I love the record. Like I listened to it a lot, but it didn't have the same for me the same feel as the Blue Album. Right. Well, I, yeah, I listened to it a lot. It's more the stay. It didn't have the staying power. So like usually, if I like a record, I'll listen to it like nonstop for like three or four months, and then if I love it, it'll kind of be in my rotation for like many years. And Pinkerton, I never got there with Pinkerton. Really, I'm oh, surprised wow. to hear that, Pab. I thought you had like a big love for this record. Like as like I thought it was kind of on par with Blue with you. No, <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> because because for me, like I related to the Blue record, like you know, like Pinkerton, I didn't relate to it. Like I was like, you weren't, you weren't angry enough at the time. No, I was very angry, but like yeah. not for the reasons River was angry. Like I wasn't tired of sex. That didn't happen to me. I wasn't cool in high school. So like for me, it was like, I don't know what it's like to be a rock star. I don't know what it's like to get into Harvard. And that's really what the record is about. It's like what happens when you get everything you ask for and it doesn't live up to what you wanted and the sheer disappointment of that. Like I couldn't relate to that. Whereas the Blue Album is more like I want my life to be better and I'm hoping it does, you know, and then Pinkerton's a little bit like, be careful what you wish for. And now I'm miserable. That's a good wow. analogy, actually. I guess you guys were cooler than I was. I think it's the. No, <laughs> no, no, I wasn't cool at all. And I knew that Rivers wasn't cool. Yes. So I think that's why I related to it. You know, like I knew all, there was all the news stories at the time on much music or whatever, like, oh, he got his leg lengthened or whatever right, so exactly. there was always some just like weird nerd thing happening with rivers and i was like okay he's this huge loser who made this album that everyone seemingly hates uh, everything i make nobody really likes either so i think that's why i connected right. and also as a woman like you got to take a certain amount of uh, liberties with lyrics with all these bands right you know there was there wasn't a lot of chicks singing so i had to take what i could for sure right well i think i have kind of an in-between version of the story of both of you where i was massively anticipating this record this this weezer became my favorite band yeah so immediately yeah. i had the oh, blue you like album weezer? jackson yeah you like, I you know. like weezer and my 1996 <laughs> t-shirt right now um but the, yeah you know i always say it sucks being known as the weezer guy because i really haven't liked anything they've done in like 20 years but uh <laughs> but uh yeah, you know, I immediately like gravitated towards them. They were my favorite band, you know, my first like favorite band as a 14-year-old. And then I remember anticipating this record and again, like, yeah, we didn't have the internet. You're just hearing like through maybe a little article, maybe someone telling you like it's supposed to come out soon, you don't know. And I remember I think it was like the dates kept getting pushed or something like that and I I was waiting for this record and then someone told me that they bought it. They're like, "Have you heard the new Weezer?" I was like, "No." They're like, it's out, man. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, it was like that week. And I remember going, I, I going to like being on my way to a party, essentially. So a group of people, I was like, stop at the record store. I got to pick up the new Weezer record. And I went and bought it. And then I got to this party and I went up to a room by myself and just listened to the whole thing. 
And I remember immediately thinking, like having that first reaction of going, okay, it's not the Blue Album. There's some quality things on here, but I'm not quite connecting with it yet. But I was very ride or die. So I was like convinced that I was like going to connect with this record. And it really didn't take long. I'm sure it probably within like a weekend, I was like, okay, no, I'm all over this record. I get it. Yeah, for me, there was so many like uh, little things to figure out in it. You know what I mean? There was all these backup vocals that were layering each other and like a guitar that would just come in pan to the left or it was, and I listened to everything on a disc man at the time and, you know, secretly in class. So it was like the, the production of it was something I hadn't heard before, you know, as, as like an exclusive pop punk listener. And it was just, oh, God, there's parts of songs that I could sing from memory, like every part, the stacked vocals coming in, you know? Yeah. It's, it really blew my mind the first time because there was so much to it. Let's talk about that then quickly about the production of this record. And just what you think about it, because it's funny you're talking about, you know, these these pan pan guitars and stuff of like that, Stacey. And I haven't listened to that on headphones in so long, really intently. And I listened to it a couple times today and thought like, wow, this record is like really in stereo. Like if you if you have one oh, headphone yeah. off, it is a completely different record. You have to have both on. And I was just thinking a lot of records just sound like they've just like dropped from the sky. They're just they're so cleanly produced. And that's most records. Like they just seem like you know, you can't even hear a production. They're just there. And I love those records that you feel like you can hear being inside the room at that moment. And I really feel like that's what this record is. You know, they self-produced it. So it's very raw. There's just a lot of that band in there. You know, all of their own ideas and production. For me, I love it because as a singer, um, I always wanted to do... It inspired the way that I record vocals now. And always have been that I want to do a lot of backup vocals, whether it's super quiet, pan to the right, or whatever, you know? I want everybody to be singing, and it's it's like a gang vocal, but not in the traditional, everyone singing the same thing at the same time, punk gang vocal, you know? It was so... There's just little parts, like a little background vocal is my favorite part of one song, or like a whee in the background, you know what I mean? It's wild. It's like there's a party going on while they were recording it. And it's just so frenetic and angry because, you know, that's what he was writing about. Yeah, it does sound different. Like, it's it's really distinctive. That's probably, I mean, one of the biggest differences, I feel like. Because, like, the first album is so polished. And then the second one is really deliberately grittier, more raw. It feels more like you're in the room. And um, even the drums, the way they recorded, like, in Tired of Sex, I remember, like, that was the thing that really stood out to me. Oh, wow. Like, the drums are really, mm-hmm. like heavy kind of loud kind of like rock drums you know not that the first album was different but was that like not rock but you know what i mean didn't rivers say that he wanted it to sound more like their live show i think that was in the article or i read that somewhere yeah yeah for sure that's what i think they were going for and i was really fixated on the drums today too hard to capture that especially for new bands you know uh i've there's a lot of bands that their first record to me is just kind of blech whatever and they need to find a producer to bring that out and i don't know they produced it themselves right you said that yeah was yeah it? pinkerton yeah i don't know if, i think they brought it out but not in like a professional way does that make sense i think you know? so yeah and i mean you can really hear you know the other production with rick Ocasek on the first record you know i love that production like don't get me wrong oh my but god it's so slick you can just hear maybe just like some immaturity in not really knowing how to produce a record on this that works so well it's like it's just <laughs> mm-hmm. like you 
because yeah, you don't yeah. exactly know what you're doing, you've just got ideas that you're just going for. And, you know, obviously all these guys have great ears. They're great songwriters. They know what they're doing, but you could just, you could hear maybe the fact that they, they just hadn't done it as a group and all together before that there's just, it's like a wall of sound. It's like that wall of sound production. Yes. And that's what I love. Yeah. That live sound. And I think when you pair it, when you pair that raw sound with a very like melodic kind of innately pop kind of sensibility, you kind of get, you know, what Pinkerton is, I think. Cause he's still so like polished, I think as a songwriter. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, yeah. Yeah, every song's a fully formed idea for sure. I just wanted to talk about how I think that this record just sounds so much like it's written by some some English student because I feel like the entire record is some sort of essay and you can hear in Tired of Sex, it just seems like the thesis for the whole record where he's kind of setting up just like his general thought process about life well, now that you, I didn't really realize that Jackson, like, kind of like the the point you're making about the English student thing, and that 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 it's kind of like, tired of sex is really like the introduction to the album and like the theme of the album of a guy. It's very Buddhist to be like desire makes me so um, unsatisfied and it brings so much suffering, and here's me fighting with that for the rest of the album. <laughs> you know, and, and you in his later interviews, he talks a lot about that type of stuff. It's a recurring theme for him. I never really thought of it, but I'm like, yeah, that does feel like a bit like an essay. Like, this is what I'm struggling with, and this is what the whole album's going to be about. Yeah, it's the overture, right? It's a hint of what's to come. My background is, is like, like counseling, psychology and stuff. So, like, I got all of that stuff in my head now when I look at this album and it's, and it's like, Oh, like rivers is really in a cycle, not just of desire and suffering, but also he's in a cycle of like, um, attack. He's got a lot of attachment issues and mm. he, he can't be sad. He's always pushing away and then coming closer to something and he can't uh, be satisfied in either scenario. And, um, you, they talk a little bit about it. They hint at it anyway in the article because he's never in one place. First of all, he's abandoned by his dad. And mm. um, and in the article, I forgot, like he changed schools every year. Like imagine being a kid and you're never, never in the same school twice. Uh, and so, so much of this album is about that too. I don't think he's fully aware of it, but so much of the album is about that too. He's super miserable. And also that's the other thing about this album is like, it's just a sadder record <laughs> than the yeah. album, you know, and you know, he's, it didn't sell as many records as the first one, which I think they felt like I oh, didn't care. Well, that made him sadder. <laughs> it's, that's yes. the thing that broke him even more. And I'm, I'm only writing pop from now on or whatever. Yeah. I showed my vulnerability and people didn't like it, but yes. I mean, it yes. was a grower, not a shower. Let's yeah. be real. We know now. And it just sucks. It'd be, it just sucks for him because this guy, he poured all of this into this record. And, you know, it's funny. I don't think this record did that badly in sales when you actually look at, you know, people talk about this commercial failure. It really wasn't. It wasn't as, as big as Blue Album because Blue Album kind of like it kept gaining momentum and people kept buying it. Mm -hmm. uh, Pinkerton was one of those records where everybody loved Blue Album, so they immediately ran out and bought this. And then... 
they didn't really like it and maybe they told their friends and then it just kind of flopped in that way. But it wasn't badly received or anything. I feel like a lot of people, like friends of mine, a lot of people didn't like it and I did. So there was a real divide because it just like wasn't the blue album. But, you know, it does suck for Rivers where he's he is thinking like, I put everything out there. I put a lot into this record and maybe people didn't like it. And then we just got the green album and everything after that. <laughs> He's like, I just yeah, got to write yeah. pop hits. It'll make everybody yeah, we'll like me. And you just think yes. of if this was a bit more successful, what the, what the career would have been of Weezer yeah. afterwards, especially if Matt Sharp had stayed in the band who had probably the most influence in songwriting and Weezer. This was his uh, last record. Yeah. Right? He was yeah. only on two. Yeah. yeah his last record. Could we have just never, got- he, He's never come back. He hasn't come back since like to do a show or anything. I th- no, I think he's done. Like, I think he's done little things. Like I think they've like maybe yeah. he's shown up and done an in store or something with them, but ultimately no. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree with you, Jackson. Like, well, I think it's easy like for fans to look at it that way. Like, I remember I didn't notice any of that stuff. Like, I was a bit baffled as to why he disappeared in the first place. I was just like, what do you mean? It's a good album. You know what I mean? Sold five hundred thousand. Isn't that great? Like, that's how I was thinking. But I feel like if you're in the uh, in the storm, it's very different if you're at a label and you're having meetings with people at Geffen where the artists are selling seven million or eight million, and your mm-hmm. first record is let's say two million at the time. I think and probably still world, selling. Right. Yeah. I think in that world, it's very much like the only expectation is that you sell more the second album. I think yeah. that's what the inside culture was like. So if you're living in that world, it's like, oh, my God, I'm a total failure. <laughs> and yeah, he, I think it's considered a failure if it doesn't match. The in that in that world. Record. Right. For sure. Whereas as fans, it's like, what do I care? I like the album. Everybody I knew liked it. Yeah. Well, yeah, me, once they heard it. it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I knew some people who got it and returned it who weren't into it. But ultimately, what? I think returned mostly. Returning most people, a record. Yeah, I know. That's, that's or, or whatever, you know, sell, sell, sell it to, sell it to yeah, to well, your used record store. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I always like to mention what that DGC roster was at the time. Like you think of Weezer's place in it. This was DGC was Nirvana, Hole, Beck, Sonic Youth, uh, Counting Crows, Counting Crows like yeah. the biggest acts of the 90s. And then Weezer's there. So, I mean, you think of a band that's like all of a sudden heard Nirvana and then said, oh, fuck everything I've been listening to and playing. I'm going to do this now. And then getting on the same label as them and, yeah, you know, being that big and being surrounded by these other bands, especially things like Counting Crows, who would have been just like selling millions of records still, this big pop band right beside them at that moment and not selling as many. Yeah, you could see how he could feel like a failure, even though he sold a lot of records. Yeah, it's a bit of like a, an exaggerated like fun house mirror effect i think when you're on the inside i think that's kind of what it feels like that's my guess anyway not that i would know but that's the feeling i get like on the inside it's it's way exaggerated like oh what a huge failure this is this is not what we expected and i think typical of rivers he he overreacted yeah (laughs) it's weird that he didn't just like make another pinkerton though you know what i mean he's disappointed with himself and like rejected by women and society and the other students of harvard so he writes pinkerton and then he's rejected seemingly by the record industry. And he's just like, okay, I'm going to cater to them now. I, I, it didn't really make the jump didn't make sense to me. It, I thought he should have gotten a, more angry 
and yeah, kept yeah. on the Pinkerton <laughs> trail. You know what I mean? Like Never to go back to that. Well, yeah, just can. I mean, I guess it wasn't commercially successful, and that was his intention. But to me, like the fans, even I saw them when they were on tour with the Pixies in like 2001 or two. And between almost every song, Rivers said, all right, here's one from Pinkerton. And the crowd would go crazy. And then he'd play something from the Green Album. And he didn't play a single song from (laughs) Pinkerton the whole time. And it's like, we love it. We've told you that we love it. Give yes. us more of it. I right. totally forgot about that. I totally forgot about how much Rivers was like. Rivers felt about Pinkerton. There was a period where he felt about Pinkerton the way Tom York felt about Creep. Mm. You know, like he just hated it. And yeah. he's like, I'm never playing this ever again. Yeah. You know? And to taunt us with it. I just Have you yeah, ever seen him play exactly. songs from Pinkerton? Either of you? Do they play them now? I think they, I think do, they now. do now. At the moment, yeah. you know, I'd like... you. I can go back and say you're saying like, why wouldn't he make another Pinkerton? And you know, if we can, mm-hmm. if we can reference this article, this was a band that just always seemed like on the verge of breakup all the time. Even you yeah. know when he was talking right after the Blue album got made, he was saying, "Oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I might go back to school. Maybe this is just being him, him being humble. Maybe this is just like him setting himself up for if it doesn't work out, at least I said I don't care and I can just go off." and leave but oh, in this yeah, yeah, article how many times has he referenced that he always wanted to be a rock star since he was a kid and now he is a rock star and now he's made this record i mean certainly not at this moment and i would think when this article came out because it was fresh it was probably t- two months or three months after the record came out he couldn't have known mm-hmm. you know what was going to happen but you know after this record he did disappear they did a tour. Then he was gone. We really never thought yep. we'd see Weezer again. I was convinced. I was yeah. like, okay, these guys are done. You never hear about them anymore. He's completely dropped off the face of the world. And then they came back with Green Album in 2001. So there was like a five-year gap. And But I did mm-hmm. see them. I saw them a year before Green Album came out. And they played this tiny tour that was essentially the, does anybody still care if we tour tour? <laughs> And I got, I went and saw them, but all they played was Blue and Pinkerton, or because that's all they had. So it was still good. He was still catering, but there was somewhere in between that he wrote Green Album and then was like, I don't want to do, I'm, because I have more material now, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm, I'm completely ditching Pinkerton. And he did it for years. And it was so stupid because everybody in the crowd was just chanting for El Scorcho. And I'm like, dude, how much more validation do you need? Right. Yeah, I remember looking at each other and we're like, he'll do it for the encore, right? Like, he has to. <laughs> no, not a chance. Yeah, but I think there's also an element of a bit of, like, spite. Like, you oh, guys he was, he loved it. When it came out. Yeah. So now, fuck you. You know what exactly, I mean? Exactly, yeah. It was a huge fuck you from stage and that he just was reveling in. Every, we, we, the crowd got louder every time he mentioned Pinkerton. Yeah. He's just like, no. I'm going to play that, that song from the Muppet video. Or yeah. Whatever, you know, like... <laughs> Okay, so I was at that show too, and I think that's I remember this more, <laughs> more clearly. What you're talking, where everybody was asking for Pinkerton, and he kept saying he was going to do it and didn't. Yeah, and he even he he faked out the the opening riff for El Scorcho, and then didn't play it. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being, I think that was the second time I'd seen Weezer, and I was like, what a 
dick. Like, I can't believe, like, I actually hated that show. Like, I was so upset, like, through that whole show. I thought everything I went it. badly. The thing. It ruined yeah. the whole night for me because the yeah. venue was shitty and the shirts were like $65. And then, yeah, he did that all Scorcho fake out. I was like, that's it. <laughs> I think I stood outside for the rest of the yeah. set. That's yeah. just like, uh, <clears throat> well, I, th- I can, I only, th- that's the thing is like, to me, I can't, in a way, I don't separate Pinkerton from all of that because it's so connected to what oh, it was like yeah. later on of like that five year disappearance. And I remember being the guy in high school that was like still a Weezer fit. Like they're still my favorite band and people would be like, oh yeah, kind of like they'd forgotten about them a little bit. You oh know, yeah, like, Buddy Holly, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was kind of like that feeling. So like the weight and the anticipation that when they finally came back, you it was just like it's like it was so exciting, like almost like it's too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And then like, it's, like, it's every Weezer fan's the same. Like they're so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because Pinkerton is this, I like I don't connect to it personally. Like I still connect to it on some level, but not the same as the Blue Album. But it's still just like a great record. Like, why not be proud mm-hmm. of it? Like, it's just a really good record. Yeah, I, I don't ever think like, oh, I want to listen to Weezer and then put on Pinkerton. I think like, I want to listen to Pinkerton. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different, uh, it's a different energy. Yeah, absolutely. You know what we're talking about? Just new Weezer. <laughs> I just every time they come on the radio, I think. How could you possibly have written lyrics this bad? Like, how did you go out of your way to write oh, lyrics yeah. so horrible? And they're always very literal, too. Like, literally bad lyrics. They're just really unpoetic. But this record, I think back, like, he just did it way better. These are very, very literal literal lyrics. They were poetic, but it was he was always a lyricist like that. He always wrote these very literal yeah. songs, like, in the garage or something like that. But I just thought, why couldn't you have just kept doing this? Because I thought how incredible these songs were, just like pouring out this pain and this emotion and just like in almost a very unpoetic way, yeah. just telling you. I was like, you could have Have kept- you listened to all the unreleased tracks from it too? Yeah. There's, they recorded like 25 songs or something. Yeah. They rec- why didn't you just make that the next record? You know, it was, it's very strange, but I guess the band fell apart and he fell apart. And- yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is it's literal, but like there is um, it's not entirely literal. Like some of his lyrics, there's like humor and irony to it in the Pinkerton album, too. Mm. Like that, I think, really is what part of his magic, I think, as a songwriter that he has that not a lot of songwriters have, which is he's able to transmit humor in his music in a way Mm -hmm. that isn't. Um, I think isn't um, corny or cheesy or kitschy or something like that. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's literal. Kind of what they got accused of, but I'm like, actually, that's not. They're not guilty of that. Yeah, it's no, funny it, it's, in a cool way. Yeah, it's literal but poetic, in a sort of like hair metal informed way. You know what I mean? Like they they do the same thing. Like a kiss song is going to be very literal, but you could still sort of derive different meanings from it or whatever. Yeah, for sure. You can tell that that's where he gets his influence. In the lyric like shaking booty, he's being yeah. slightly ironic. But he's exactly. Self, there's a self-awareness there of like, I'm a nerdy guy. You know what I mean? He's not saying it, right? He's not literally telling you that. It's implied in how he's communicating. Mm-hmm. We all know he wasn't making sweet love. All yeah, the time. we know. 
<laughs> Even before his surgery. <laughs> I want to read a quote from this because this is stuck in my mind for 25 years. I always remember this quote and it, and it really ties in with what we're talking about right now where he says, this is a quote from the article. I've sold 2 million records. I've toured around the world singing in front of thousands of people. There's a girl sitting across the table from me in English 101. And I just kind of look up at her every once in a while and put my head back down. I'm still a pathetic fool. It's amazing. No matter how many records I sell, I'm never going to be in Kiss. Exactly. I loved that quote when I read it. That could just be on the back of every Weezer album. Like, <laughs> this is what you're getting. This is the guy who wrote this. Oh, my God. It's so, like, self-deprecating, but, but pathetic honest? and Brutal honest, honest. Brutally honest. But it's it's like he gets off on unrequited love. Like that's the only kind of love he understands or something, you know, it's wow. Yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. That should be on a shirt. Just that whole quote. Just put that on the back of a shirt. All right, Stacy, you're the one to do it. That that is like, (laughs) sorry. Stacy has a t-shirt line. Everybody put it on. (laughs) All right. Like to me, that's the most interesting thing about Rivers and Pinkerton and the Blue Album too, but especially Pinkerton is is um, that thing that he's grappling with and how honest he is about it. Most songwriters, well, not most, but like anybody who is going through it usually wouldn't be that like transparent about what they're going through. Yeah, That to me is one of the cool things about Pinkerton is how honest he was about that stuff and how much he was struggling for as much as he wanted acceptance. He kind of couldn't, he couldn't, help but just be completely honest about things that normally people are embarrassed about (laughs) oh yeah yeah the secret right or they get in shit about it like writing to the the teenager in japan or whatever yeah yeah the full story is but yeah just so so honest and i think that's what drove me to it as a teenager because it was literal and honest and it was things that i was thinking but i didn't know how to say them like that you know, and I, I didn't have the platform to say them either. Yeah, you kind of you kind of didn't know you could say it out loud. Maybe you were obviously like you were looking yeah. to this person who was ten years older than you, and I'm like, is that okay? You can just say all this stuff that like I'm yeah. definitely feeling right now. And you still yeah. feel like that? Yeah. Oh, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there was no Tumblr. I, I couldn't go on Tumblr and find other teenagers <laughs> with the same mental illness as me. You know what I mean? Like it's right. it was so different. <laughs> Took what you could get. No, I was just going to say it is really funny that this is like a sophomore record too. So the first record was quite happy. You, I mean, obviously there were songs like Say It Ain't So that had like kind of a dark undertone, but more of an upbeat record. This is a very literal, this is exactly how I'm feeling record. And it is funny, you know, just going back to that quote, here's a guy who's already found success, has wealth. He still isn't happy. This is all. This is everything he wanted that he was looking for. And here's his sophomore follow-up to his you know, platinum selling record going, Oh shit. Like <laughs> I still haven't <laughs> found love. I'm not happy. I was like, the I next record should be, you know, next records or third records are usually people run out of ideas because they've hit success and there's nothing left to write about. And here's a guy who found it and was still shitty and pissed off and had to write this record. What do you think of the green record? What do we think of the green, green album? I like the green record. I, I always say, I feel like the green record is, is one more like one long song. It kind of just feels yeah. like the same song over and over again almost. I do like yeah. it. It's it's easy. It's it's fun. The lyrics aren't bad. Like you could just see that downward slope of Weezer lyrics that just kept 
sliding down the mountain as the mm-hmm. 2000s rolled on. I feel the lyrically it was fine. I feel musically it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. That's exactly what I'm saying, basically. I, we, we were all very excited for it to come out because it had been gone for so long. And then it came out. I remember listening to it in Kim's car in high school. I'm like, huh? I don't know. It's like kind of like the Blue Album, I guess, but not really. And it's like not at all like Pinkerton. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like this double-edged sword with a band where you you want them to keep putting up material. You want them to sound the same as they did. You want that familiar sound, but you also want them to do something different. So bands can yeah. kind of just never win. You know, they put out that next record and it's like, oh, it's not the same as the first record, so I don't like it. But you don't want them to do the exact same thing as they did on the record, first record. So what do you exactly, want? Exactly, yeah. So you get the Green That's Album. That's the Pinkerton problem. <laughs> it changed too much for some people and then it changed back and ruined it for other people. For an artist, I think really to put out your best music, you really have to be like writing in the moment, like in the zone and not trying, you know what I mean? Yeah. To do one thing or the other. And I feel like Rivers got two in his head about it. Where at least Pinkerton is like, yeah, that's the album he wanted to make. Like, and yeah. he didn't compromise. It's like, you should have just continued doing it. <laughs> Even yeah. if I don't like it, I don't care. Just make something you really care about. Here's a big question for you guys. Is this an emo record? Because everyone say said, I think so. Starting in the 2000s, when emo kind of became popularized or whatever that, whatever you want to call that, that was 2000s emo. But all of a sudden, these guys were this massive influence on this generation with Pinkerton and Blue, I guess. But Pinkerton seemed to be like the big record of influence where I really didn't think they were part of that scene or genre at all. And neither did they. When you think about like mm, no. what the emo scenes were in the 90s, but everybody says this is like this, like they're like the godfathers of emo, which I never heard until my 20s. <laughs> I never heard that either, but now thinking about Pinkerton with like Jimmy World or something, like it's, there's similarities there that I've never oh, yeah, really thought about before. Well, that's but even is, like yeah. the bands can can influence other genres without them really like predicting it. Like they didn't directly create it, right? So like some metal bands were influenced by like Helter Skelter or something. You know what I mean? Mm. But um, uh. I I would consider it like pre emo or pro whatever the the pro I've heard proto punk yeah so like I would say it's like proto emo like it's not emo emo but I could see every emo band that became successful being huge Weezer fans yeah because oh yeah emo existed as a genre like as a very small subgenre in the nineties and then got popularized into, again, I don't even know what that was in the 2000s. It wasn't what it was five years previous. But Weezer just were not a part of that. But all of a sudden, I just it was so funny when people just, someone must have wrote an article about it. I don't know, because all of a sudden, it just like dropped out of the sky that they were the godfathers of emo. And I just kept saying, I don't get it. I've never heard that before. But I can see. In the early 2000s, sorry, there was a while in the early 2000s that anything that was like guitar driven, but singing uh, like heartfelt lyrics was described as emo, Mm -hmm. which is Pinkerton. Yeah, which is. And the Blue Album, too. Yeah. Yeah. Just any song about heartbreak then, like, I don't know, which is every album. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's, I think, kind of what what separated it. It's like 
if you're a white guy and you're like a little more on the sensitive side, but you're expressing that sensitivity kind of like melodically and with like major chords, mm. you're already separating yourself from like what the other alternative rock bands were doing. Cause yeah. like Kurt Cobain was just as socially awkward and just as like, um, kind of like, um, what's the word? Like, um, uh, unlucky in love, you know mm. what I mean? To put it mildly. And, uh, no but he wasn't as directly expressing it in the music mm. as Rivers was similar, but you know, that's, that's where the distinction is. So any band coming out, post weezer that's like that i think i'm sure they were influenced by it oh yeah unless you had fast drums and then you're pop punk yeah yeah yeah, that's right (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and then rivers didn't like it either (laughs) yeah (laughs) true to character i remember there's there's a quote of his saying like he goes i don't know why we're he's like i don't know how he said it but it was a little bit like he was just pissed off about it he didn't want to be the influencer of emo bands he's like (laughs) He's like, basically, emo bands took what we were doing and then wussified it, I think is the word he used. Yeah. Oh, he wussified it. First. Shut up, That's Rivers. <laughs> no. you got to be kidding me, man. Yeah, just oh, because God. this guy, you know, and you can see his career path as well, where he was a metalhead, moved to L.A., started working at Tower Records, started listening to the Pixies and Sonic Youth, and then Nirvana, you know, broke right when he was there, right when he showed up. So he was influenced by all that. And then he went back to that. He ditched all of that in the 2000s. It was like, no, let's do Kiss. Like, let's do my early yeah. influence, man. Like, let's do that. That's the crowd pleaser, man. Yeah. I want my logo on fire behind <laughs> me. I want pyro. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. 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 It was so on Weezer to do shit like that. Oh, my God. I'm just so glad he's still around and being Rivers and not like a Scientologist or something. So I don't have some reason to hate him. He can just be a weirdo and exist. And I love it. Well, yeah, but the fire thing, I feel like that is very Weezer because it's done. There's an irony to it, which is very much, you know, in, in keeping with the brand, I guess. It's a lowercase W like, you know, it's, (laughs) you couldn't even make yourself a capital letter. One more thing, they talk a lot about music videos in this record in this article, which was such a big thing at the time when we think back to the 90s how yeah. how big a deal music videos were. Like I wasn't really listening to the radio as much as I was watching much music all the time. Sure. And, all day every day. And yeah. how much of an influence like how much of a career maker videos were and we think back to Spike Jones like talk about the career maker how many how many yeah. how many bands did he like should just like mm. bow down to him essentially uh but it's yeah. it, i feel like they're like they talk a lot about in this record how they just didn't have that video that like broke this record for them the same way that uh, buddy holly well, did for blue record blue I album i don't know that they needed that sure. because the video that i love from the blue album is say it ain't so that's the one that got me the Buddy Holly and it's the sweater song. The sweater song is cool. Actually, I like that one. Mm. But the Buddy yeah. Holly one, like it's a marvel of whatever or CGI or whatever it was. But it wasn't like it wasn't not my favorite song on the record. I didn't really love it. And it's it, 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 in the 90s because it was like the top of the charts. It's like, oh, that's like their sellout song, man. That's not like that's not the song the real fans like. That's the fucking <laughs> video song. But you, for you to say that you saw the El Scorcho video on Much Music, I never saw it till years later. I don't think it got as much play. No, maybe, not at all. Because it, because it, it was darker. Like they could have 
been right about that, that they didn't have that breakout video to sell Pinkerton. I never really thought about that because they kind of died. Play that, it was dying no. already, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, saw the El Scorcho video once. I, I remember taping it. I think it's the only time I ever right. saw it. They never played it again. And they yeah, also made... It's like a Yeti or something. Yeah. The Sasquatch. Like, they, I saw it. I swear I saw it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember like, that in the 90s um, when you'd say, like, did you see that video? Man, they played Tool Prison Sex at one thirty last night, man. Did you see yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it was like. That's what it was like then. Like, there's certain videos that were just, like you knew it was going to be on rotation and you mm. could just, you didn't have to like tape it or something, but like El Scorcho, yeah, was definitely one of those, but that's the thing. It's like, I think Sharp and Wilson were right in the article that like, it was a f- difference in their, in terms of their popularity that if they had a Spike Jones, they probably would have sold more records if he did their video. And it's so funny to me how, how adamant rivers was about not being associated with it anymore with it with uh spike jones yeah and then, why was that again I, I read that too but i he was resentful that um at the idea that more people were actually liking weezer because of spike jones and not because uh, of songwriting ability like oh you just like me because of this music video you know to hell with that like i want well, people to be loyal to me and i think the fact that everybody that he felt like people the masses rejected pinkerton i mean that's it it was yeah. a nail in the coffin for Rivers. But um, they talk about music videos so much in this article that I started questioning myself because I was like, <laughs> wait, do I not like Pinkerton because I don't like the music videos? Like, that's what it got <laughs> me to this article. I was like, what kind of fan am I? Like, did, am I just like everybody else? And that's why I didn't like it. I was like, I don't know. Because I do like to say I do like the music videos of all of them. Sadie and So music video I like, Undone the sweater song, and yeah. Buddy Holly. Whereas, uh, what else in, in Pinkerton has a music video? Is it just El Scorcho? They made a uh, uh, Good Life video, so they tried to kind of redeem it. They talk about that in this record or in this article. I'm pretty sure that they they made the El Scorcho video, and all it is is essentially like a camera on a dolly going around a stage in a in a room. Of them playing. Yeah, it's like darkly lit. Yeah, like just nothing great. I barely remember. Yeah, there's nothing special about it. It's just them standing on stage playing, which was actually kind of cool. But then they tried to kind of make up for it. They were seeing like low album sales. and They're like, we need a video to sell this record. So they made the Good Life video, which I did not see until my 20s. I did not see it until you... you I I didn't know it existed until right now. Yeah. I, I think I yeah, downloaded yeah. it or some way you could look at it on the internet and in the year 2000s when you really couldn't see videos. And that was, yeah, I remember seeing it. I'd never seen it before. Someone told me about it again. Like They're like, I saw that video, but I was like, I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah. Well, going to look that up after this. There's a, there's a recognizable <laughs> actress in it too, Stacey. I'm forgetting her name. Oh. But uh, yeah, she did, she did a couple. I remember her doing that video. She did a Beck video. Uh, and then she's, I think she's like a comedian actress. I cannot remember her name right now, but she's definitely someone who's been around for like 25 years. Funny if it was Alicia Silverstone. Yeah. <laughs> she's in like an Aerosmith video or something. <laughs> the actress's name is Mary Lynn Rajkub. She was on. You don't know who Mary Lynn Rajkub is? He she said is like one of the pioneers of alternative comedy. Come on. Okay, I knew she was a comedian, and I knew she was on. I knew, yeah, I knew she was on twenty-four. Yeah, 
She's in the Good Life video. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Wow, she was on Mr. Show. She's on like yeah, she's on Mr. Show. Was yeah, a writer on Mr. Show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's, she's great. That's actually what I looked her up wow. as. I was like, she's on Mr. Show. Right. I know. So I remember her in the Beck New Pollution yeah, yeah. video cool, and the like and the, uh, the the Good Life video. I knew her. I knew oh, her wow. name, but it was like she has All a right. weird I last name that I could not. Watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's one of those people that everyone knows and nobody knows her name. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because she's a genius. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know her. You know her. <laughs> she's in like she's a, Gail the Snail on Always Sunny. Too. Like, there's yeah. movies, too, that she's in. Now it's it's one of those faces where you, you know you've seen them in a ton of stuff. Yeah, she's in that new, like, Tomorrow War, whatever. She's either in, like, uh-huh. a really serious movie with guns or, like, <laughs> a completely off-the-wall character actor. <laughs> comedy you know yeah 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 she's one of those i still can't get over the honesty in this article <laughs> yeah oh my god you would like, never read an article like this today like it just so aggressively honest like i'm literally only in this band for the money like who says that yeah, in an yeah. like it's just <laughs> it still like baffles me even for that time i think it's still really aggressively honest it is. I I read it twice because I could. I was like, I think I misread. So, like I thought the pages were in the wrong order. So this is so weird. They're all just really mad, I guess. But yeah, it was a great article. Great find. And from the tone of this article, it just seems like we're just gonna do this until it dies. Like we don't know. Like everybody just seems mm. massively uncertain about this, and they talk about like we might just break up. Like we might. Well, they talked about how they didn't know if they were gonna make it to this record. He had writer's block. And they just, and he went back to school and they thought maybe we're just that one album band. And so we'll just do this again. Like, sure. We'll yeah. all show up, but like, why not just be honest about it? Because like, what do we have to lose at this point? Yeah, exactly. I think they're all just in it until he retires the word Weezer, right? Like it's up to rivers, I guess. Yeah. And then 25 years later, it's the way bands get historicized. Sometimes it's like, it's easy to treat them as sort of like, inevitably famous but like you read this article and it's like this band is so untethered and just Mm. so like the wheels are coming off and the entire time they're just like who the hell knows if we're ever gonna stay together which it's it's easy to forget that like it's easy for that to get lost in the history Mm -hmm. i think for sure there's a certain energy on a sinking ship you know oh Yeah. yeah. yeah Just go and for it. And now they're the exact opposite. <laughs> it's like this sort of, they feel very much like an institution. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 100%. And, and they're just doing everything to just keep churning out content and like staying yeah. relevant. <laughs> like They've true. done well, yeah. man. I can't believe it. You know, Slap every time you think. Lost on the cover of a record. Sell it. <laughs> print it. Cover That's Toto. Show, right? People like that show? Yeah, print it. <laughs> and I had an interesting experience the other day where um uh i was talking to this teenager and i made some reference to weezer i don't remember why and he just started but i said it like as if he wouldn't know who they are mm-hmm. kind of like look older people we know who weezer are and he's like <laughs> and he started laughing i go why are you laughing he goes i know who weezer is i go really i go so what's so funny he goes everybody hates them. <laughs> <laughs> yet they're packing so, stadiums oh God, that makes me so sad like <laughs> This makes me so sad. Everyone hates them. Yeah, like that. These teenagers, the only reason they know oh them God. is because they're a hated band or like a, a band worthy to hate, you know? 
Oh my god, what a shame! I know, right? Because I'm like, but the first two records, they're so yeah, good. Just go back to the '90s, kids. Go the, back to the '90s. It's the plight of the Weezer fan, man. It's the first two records, and then you have to deal with all the aftermath. And I yeah. always think it's funny because you say like they're a hated band, but they're still going. Like, who is going to these shows? It can't just be people our age it has to be younger people in some respect they're still getting played on the radio they're still reasonably relevant so i never get i always want to figure out exactly who is still a big weezer supporter well it's the it's the kids that are buying the new green day albums too like as a green day stan at least they had four good albums five maybe sure uh but they've put out like another 10 or something and people are buying that i don't know what's on it but i think it's like my guess is like two types of fans yeah there's like the fan that's not cool and doesn't genuinely doesn't get why weezer would be hated because they're just like mm. i like the song they don't understand what a hipster would think is good you know what i mean and they just like it and then there's probably the other type of fan is like oh i like the song they hear the early albums and they get it like, mm-hmm. oh, this is just a great band. But that's got to be the minority. Like, most people wouldn't understand. Like, out of context, imagine your first intro to Weezer is, like, their cover of Africa or something. Uh, yeah. Africa. <laughs> yeah. You would just think they're kind of like a joke band or like, like a silly band. And then if that's your first intro, you're not going to – that's going to stay in your ingrained in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I think now, too, that these tours they're doing are so big. It's not like kids are buying a ticket to see Weezer. They're buying a ticket to, like, the Hella Sick show, and it's got five bands, and it's, you know, it's like it's like going to Warp Tour. Yeah. Most years, we didn't even know the full lineup. But there's, like, one person right. I want to see, or, oh, I heard that song on a comp. I'm going to buy a ticket for the whole thing. And that's basically all they're doing now. <clears throat> Jackson, do you remember seeing Weezer? At, I can't remember the name of the place, but it was the outdoor where they played the whole Blue Album. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Well, uh, what it, was the show? It was Riot Fest. Riot Fest in two thousand. I don't know, oh, fifteen right. or so. They played all of Blue one night, and they played all of Pinkerton the second night. Can't believe I didn't go to that. Right, I so can't we believe you didn't to... either, Stacy, because somehow everybody in town got a free ticket to that. Like a day before, yeah, I, I, I was like out of town or working or something. Like there was a reason that I couldn't. It go. was the weirdest thing because I was just not going to go because it was expensive. And then, mm-hmm. I, like, you know, like the Friday before it, all of a sudden, it just like started getting reports. It was like everybody won some Twitter contest and people were just winning like four Twitter contests and like giving away <laughs> tickets. Like everybody went for free all of a sudden. Wow. <laughs> it was crazy. Was it good? It was amazing. I saw. Yeah, it was an incredible show. They, well, I, I saw, yeah, I saw both nights. I saw Blue and I saw Pinkerton. They played, uh, they played a B B side off each record for the kind of encore. So I think they played like you gave your love to me softly for Pinkerton. And I just remember, yeah, I remember standing beside this friend of mine and him going, I can't think of a band, honestly, where the entire crowd is singing the entire record. (laughs) He goes, we're sitting here listening to this front to back and there's, 20,000 people singing every single word. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> right. awesome. Well, that's what I was going to say was like going to that show was an eye opener for me because they play the whole blue album. And then right after that, they play the singles of the, all of the rest of their albums. And, and then I look around and I'm like, Oh, 
every single young person knows all of the words to the singles. Mm-hmm. And you can see that that's how they got into Weezer. It's not the Blue Album. They weren't as into it. You could literally see the difference. Yeah. And it kind of opened my eyes. Like, oh, yeah, there's a whole generation of, like, I don't know, Weezer fans that just got into it later. If you don't get into a band from the start, I don't think, like, oh, you're not into that band. You, know, you weren't there. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, they, they, people can come in late. It's tough to go yeah. back. It's tough to go back when you when you hear that that record that's like the sixth record of the band and that's what you get into. It's going to be almost completely different than the first one. So it's, it is sort of, you try to go back a lot of times it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but at that show when they played, whichever night it was, they played the whole record. And then he says, Hey, do you guys want to hear some more songs? And I yelled out, don't play anything new. (laughs) And this teenage girl just turned and gave me the worst look like fuck you man i was like those are her yeah. songs man those are the songs she loves you deserved it jackson you deserved it yeah you're the <laughs> jaded <laughs> prick in the back at the show ruining <laughs> okay guys one more thing before we before we leave this episode as we always do let's look at the billboard chart who's number one in the billboard charts january 11th 1997 I'm going to go through the top 10 here. There is, here's something to note. 1997? 1997. 97. So there are four soundtracks in the top 10 billboard. Oh my God. As there always was in the 90s because it's, it's, uh, it's, 19, it's, it's the 1990s. That's how you sold records. Uh, you had to put yep. your, uh, you know, you wanted that comp. You wanted, uh, you know, like you wanted that B-side. So absolute nineties, first time I heard oh, say it ain't oh, so. Oh yeah. Oh really? Such a good cover. Oh, absolute nineties. That was a great record. Remember? Yes. The guy skateboarding on the cover? Yeah. Woo. And uh Flaming Lips yeah. was on there too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, man. Uh okay. Number ten. <laughs> Number ten is uh the most famous contemporary adult contemporary soprano saxophonist. <laughs> Kenny G. Yes. <laughs> Number 10 is The Moment <laughs> by Kenny G. It's that whatever that thing is. It's yeah. It's a soprano sax. Very high-pitched saxophone. Yeah. Isn't the saxophone the thing that Lisa Simpson plays? Yes, plays it is, Pat. saxophone. Oh. Well, I, I played in school. I played a little in, in 1994, so I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to number nine. This is yeah. a woman who was dominating the charts. Canadian woman. She is 81 weeks on the charts. Alternative, what, what we're saying, alternative uh, record, if we want to call that. We lumped everything in the 90s into an alternative category. So. Oh, Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette. Jagged Little Pill? Yes. <laughs> Number Jagged nine. Little Pill still on the, what song? What song? Is well, this, this is just the albums, but this has been. Okay. Yeah, it never ended. I remember, I always say, I remember this record coming out and that song, you ought to know, it was grade nine summer for me going into grade 10 and they were still releasing singles at the end of grade 11. It just, that record never ended in high school. There was like eight singles. Eight singles. <laughs> like every, every, every thing on the record was a single. And the musical just won, just swept the Tonys. Do you guys know about this? Jagged Little Pill, the musical? I did not it know just that. swept the Tonys this year. It's good. As a band of musicals, it's good. <laughs> Can't beat them. 
It is, I swear. If you like Broadway, you'll like it. Okay. Broadway is pretty good at turning pop records into into uh, into musicals, as we've seen of late. Okay, number eight is a country artist, female country artist. Uh, she's 25 weeks on the charts. I don't know really how to describe this woman other than like actually saying one of Canadian? her big singles. No, she's not Canadian. Uh, she had, pardon me, Faith Hill. Faith Hill. No, it's not Faith Hill. This is a young woman. She's uh, she's probably a, I think she's a teenager at this point. Oh, Leanne Rhymes. Leanne Rhymes is correct, Stacy. Oh, Blue yeah. by Leanne Blue Rhymes. Was the album. Yeah. Wow, I'm wait. I I keep giving away too much, Stacy. You're guessing all the record names too. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just know these records. <laughs> um. Number this was a big year for me, okay? I was yeah. 15 years old. This was like the height of my insanity with music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I get it. Uh, I mean, these were all things that I was seeing on much music, like just day and night as well. Every one of these artists. Oh, definitely. Maybe not Kenny G, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, number seven is a giant female uh, R&B solo artist. It's not Mary J. Blige. 90, is it Lauren Hill? It's is not Lauren Hill. Faith Evans? Nope. Keep going. You guys is she are getting... in a fa- famous family? Uh, no. It is not Latoya Jackson. <laughs> that was my go-to, Latoya. Jeez, uh, you got another clue? You know, I oh, uh, um, uh, like uh, is she Brandy still alive? Or, Monica, or is that too early? No, it's not too early for them. Uh, you're, you know, you're you're zeroing in on the very popular female R&B solo artist of the time. Uh, yeah. Is it Mariah? It's not. Still alive? Yes, yeah, still alive. It's not Whitney. Uh, this was a very of the moment. This is probably, you know, second or so big record for this woman. Aaliyah? No, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Okay. It's Secrets by Tony Braxton. I know it was the only two great videos off that record. You remember those videos? Oh yes, I do, Stacy. Yeah. Oh right. You guys remember those videos? Do I remember those videos? Yes. (laughs) You remember the bathtub? Yes. I remember like literally like calling your friends that Tony Braxton videos on man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, first first soundtrack of the list. Okay, well, this was obviously a giant movie. This was a kind of a revolutionary movie. Uh, oh, anything I say here is probably I know good. what it is, but I'm going to let you keep giving the clues. No, just just say it. Romeo and Juliet. No, it's not. Titanic? Really? No. It's... it's it, anything oh, Pulp I, Fiction. Pardon? Pulp Fiction. No, too late for Pulp Fiction. This is a big blockbuster movie, and it's a basketball movie. <laughs> Oh, Space Jam. Yes. <laughs> Space Jam. Space Jam. <laughs> Good soundtrack. Yes. Came out in 97. Maybe coming in 96. I think the soundtrack came out later. <laughs> I think that, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. I mean, this is seven weeks on the charts, so that movie was definitely like a Christmas movie uh, for yeah. 96. Number five is another soundtrack featuring... Um, the biggest female uh, R&B artist of the day. She is act. She okay. She is oh, acting the, in this movie. The bodyguard. No, but you've got the actress right. <laughs> Winnie Houston. Oh, what? What? Waiting to exhale? Maybe is that the? N- nope. Was... Nope. 
It is Whitney. What's the movie? Uh, she's in it with Denzel Washington. What? She's obviously singing in this movie. What? It's the movie. Preacher's Wife soundtrack. What? Yes. Number this five. Was like high in the Christian charts or something, and it carried. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of gospel on this. I actually looked these yeah. songs up today. I didn't really recognize anything, but I obviously wasn't that heavy into the R&B scene of 1997. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also, this is unique because it's January, right? So, like, January is a unique time for the record industry because usually mm-hmm. it kind of like closes shop, right? In December and January. Well, maybe that had Christmas songs on it. Well, yeah. Maybe right. because so, like, it was soundtracks yeah. absolutely popular, I think, as Christmas gifts. Yeah. So, yeah, 100%. Like, that's, that's what we should be thinking of Christmas sales right here. And everybody right, gets right. soundtracks and comps for Christmas. And when it, when you didn't know what to get your sixteen year old daughter, you got her Alanis Morissette. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is this like, cool? This, she got eight singles on the radio. I'm just gonna get her this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, this is a great portrait of this time. Number three, really big band, uh, kind of a post grunge band. This is their sophomore record. Uh, it's uh, it ha- it like debuted at number one, I think. Almost, I'm looking at three? here. Pardon. Creed? No, too early for Creed. Think of 1997. Did they have any big videos on this record? Yeah, I mean, watch. define big. I would say that this was they had a big video that was definitely in a in, in a couple of big videos that were in, in high rotation at this time. Um, post grunge. Yeah, post grunge. The first first Maybe record was 94. Uh, is post grunge like a tongue in cheek because it's the Foo Fighters? No, no, it's not the Foo Fighters, but good guess. Uh, these guys are British. Oh, Oasis? Nope. It's produced by Bush, Steve Albini. Late. It is Bush, Pablo. Bush, how did I not get <laughs> that? Razor blade suitcase. Ago, my mom got me Alanis Morissette's records, and my dad got me Bush records for Christmas. <laughs> wow, Bush, sixteen stone, right? No, this is the follow-up. This is Razor Blade Suitcase. This oh, is the sophomore record. See, Greedy Fly is their biggest video to me. Oh, okay. It's like an eight-minute video. Yeah, the video that just went wow. on forever, yeah. Yeah. It, had a, it was like a whole... It was a movie. Like, so it had bad. like a four-minute yeah, yeah. intro. <laughs> Didn't he, like, turn into a fly? I think like, so, yeah. The fly? Of course. That was the video director came in. He's like, here's the concept. You're going to be a yeah, fly. Yeah, you're covered in slime. <laughs> <laughs> You'll still be hot. You'll still be hot, Gavin. We're just going to grease you yeah, up. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> they love it greasy. Yeah. All right. Uh oh shit. I've skipped over one, but it doesn't matter. All right, Stacy, go for it. It's your favorite soundtrack. <laughs> oh, really? Romeo and Juliet? Yes. <laughs> wow, is it number one? How many it's, weeks? No, no, no. How it's number weeks? four. I actually skipped over it by I accident. It. Number four. You skipped I just got it, it on vinyl, actually. I love that album still to this day. Every song. So good. I I definitely got this as for Christmas this year. For sure. I'm oh, really? sure I asked yeah. for it. I would have yeah. got it for 97 because I wanted the Radiohead single. And it was one of those enhanced CDs. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do You could put it in that. your computer and like walk around Verona and stuff. So oh, weird. wow. I don't remember that. I remember something, uh, but I don't remember. Oh, that's really cool. I forgot about there that. There was some like interactivity to it. But it was really, I still have the CD, but I don't have any computers with CD drives anymore. So I can't <laughs> check it out. Oh my god! I wonder if I do. I'm gonna check that out. I'm trying to remember other enhanced CDs. The yeah, only it was enhanced. I, 
I remember like limp I, we thought the tech was going to be huge and it really wasn't yeah <laughs> but it was you know at the time <laughs> yeah yeah I remember I went I had like a, it a makes me laugh I had a specialized theater program that I was in that semester and my whole class went to Romeo and Juliet. I remember such a big deal. I think like oh, 20 of us went all at once. Yep. Yep. Oh man. That, that movie cool blew my mind. I actually, cool. I still love that movie. I still think it looks fantastic. No, it's yeah, it's great. Oh, it's great. And it's the 25th anniversary right now, obviously this oh, whole list yeah. is, but, uh, Baz Luhrmann is putting out all this stuff on Instagram, like super eight video mm-hmm. that he shot with Claire Danes and Leo when they were just like finding the characters and, Oh wow! It's okay, yeah, it's pretty cool how he, how he got that made is pretty cool. Cause yeah, he, the total side note, yeah, he made like a super cheap video with Leo DiCaprio, to just like walking to around smoking, yeah, exactly. in a Hawaiian shirt, yeah. Because he's like, this is kind of how I want it to look, and it's true. It's it's like the no one had really done that with Shakespeare before. So, yeah, one hundred percent. Cool soundtrack. Oh yeah. yeah so exactly. number four, which one did you skip? I skipped. Okay, uh, so no. number four was Romeo and Juliet. Number three was Bush razor blade suitcase. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Okay. All right. And then number two, anything I say will give this away. Number two, <laughs> gigantic, <laughs> the gigantic, gigantic female artist, the pride of Quebec. Oh, Celine. <laughs> You know what, when you get when you whenever you say gigantic female artists, whenever we do these episodes, I always there's always two that I think of: Celine Dion or Shania Twain. <laughs> it's usually one of the two. So Canadian. I know, isn't this yeah. wonderful? We've got Alanis yeah. and Celine on uh, the top ten. Amazing. Which brings us to number one. This is a very very big. 1996-97. This is another band and album that uh, just covered a bunch of years in the 90s i'd say it was strong like 90 95 to 97 they were really huge this is 52 weeks on the charts for them right now i've got two in mind okay my first one is no doubt you'd be correct it's tragic kingdom by no doubt 52 weeks on the charts so it can't it's been on the charts for a year it's been on the charts for a year and it's number one right now (laughs) oh my god Well, that's another album that had like five, six singles. Oh, yeah. It went forever. I know. That was the other record I was thinking of. When I think of that, I think of No Doubt, Tragic Kingdom. I think of Alanis Morissette. And I also think of Beck Odelay. Beck Odelay just like kind of kept going too. Like it was another like 96 to 98 record that they just kept releasing singles and just kept it relevant. It's amazing how they did that with records. Like now you just have to produce so much content. It's so fast. It's so fast. Now you can't keep up. You have to have something new every single day. And back then you could drag a record out for two years. Yeah. Now, if you don't put out a new record every two years, it's like, you know, you can tour you back then you would tour a record for two, maybe three and then think about recording. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's wild. All those bands, man, that I can, I can just like picture myself at 15 watching much music, hearing that list. With the exception of Kenny G. Again. Yeah. But yeah. I'm literally thinking yeah, back like, to like two things on this list. How much, how in love I was with Claire Danes from Romeo and Juliet <laughs> and Gwen mm-hmm. Stefani simultaneously. <laughs> oh, wow. Gwen yeah. Stefani, See, yeah. It was Gavin Rossdale and Leo for me. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I just wanted to, as soon as I saw Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie, I was like, well, I have to cut my hair like that somehow. Like, I have to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to cut my hair like that. I got like, a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to be Gavin Roscoe in high school. Oh, God. Now we but, know he's uh, a huge loser, but he was so cool at the time. In high school, what did you know? You're like, look at this guy. He looks so cool. Yeah. He's got an accent. He's got great hair. Yeah. He plays a guitar. <laughs> exactly. Boy, what else exactly. do you need? That's pretty much it. Just hand people guitars, <laughs> eh? But when I when I think of 1997, though, more than anything, like Tragic Kingdom really takes me, is the album I feel like takes me back the most to that specific year. You know, because before that, it was like Melancholy was a big one. You know, Oasis, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, uh, What's the Story? Pinkerton, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and 90s. Cool time. 97 was getting into the era when I, you know, by the end of 97 or maybe like nine, I'm thinking more like 98, I think I was really not finding a lot that I was liking and I was having to really dig deep 94 to 96 at this point, you know, like into 97, that was, those are my years, man. Like that is my favorite content of the (laughs) nineties. Just loved everything that came out. Didn't have to look for it. Even the shit that was on much music was great. Yeah. Yeah. And even, and you just took it for granted. Like, isn't this yeah. how I remember just being like, it just seemed normal. Like, isn't this just how it always is? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Won't it just be like this forever? Everywhere? And it's wild now because like it was a pivotal moment in music now that we were there for. Yeah. And we were just like in it, whatever. And now looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember when Nirvana was a new band. Yeah. You yes. know? Absolutely. I remember when <laughs> I remember when the alternative section first came to the Sam the Record Man in Oshawa. Like they, put, they put up a card that says alternative. Yeah, Do you know what this means? <laughs> we I made it. Buy these albums now. Yeah, we made it. We're here. It's grunge. It's I always think of that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's everything's grunge. Everything's alternative. I just think of that time. I always kind of rationalize it as how much from that time is still played on the radio every single day. I still every hear. Day. I still hear Beck yep. Loser and Radiohead Creep and yep. Stone Double Stone Pilots, Pilots every yep. day. Every time you turn Offspring. on the radio, sabotage by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> like, yeah, it's That's still the thing. <laughs> unbelievable. All right, it's well, like I guess, I guess we're fucking old. Yeah, so. <laughs> time to watch the Bodyguard's Wife now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. This movie, oh like what? <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for coming on and talking about this issue and this time in our lives and everything about Weezer Pinkerton and beyond. It was so much fun talking to you. Thanks so much, Pablo and Stacy, for coming on. Uh, I loved it. I'd really love to do it again soon with uh, both you guys. Yeah. So we'll come back with more topics. Yeah. Sounds great, man. Okay. Yeah. Okay.